Blog Talk Radio.
are going to be very important uh, in your day and night when you're on duty. When you actually go to your duty time. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was very interesting. It was uh, something, you know, I on the West Coast 
I've been out on the West Coast before, uh, backpacking in the Selway uh, Bitterroot and on the Ocean Beach Wilderness area. Okay. Uh, why don't Why don't you tell uh, our audience, for those who may not know, um, what Bremerton's like? What is its niche? Um, what is its main like function in the area? Well, Bremerton has a long, long tradition of being um, the northwest um, biggest shipyard. And it's uh, a shipyard for ships to come in and get fitted, refitted, uh, scrapped out, uh, overhauled, uh, lots of work being done on there all the time. And there were both submarines and surface ships. Um, but the Nimitz was the the kind of the flagship. Um, she had been an East Coast ship and came around the Horn uh, to be a West Coast ship. Okay. Sorry, my dog is going nuclear. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened around the Horn? Was there any incidents? I know sometimes there are really high seas around the Horn of Africa. Yeah. That can be a difficult yeah. journey. Uh, the, highest, the highest seas in the world are at the bottom of South America. That's called going around the... Oh, it's just not Africa. It's South America? South America, yep. Oh, that gets you. That gets you from the Atlantic to the Pacific. Okay. I assume the Nimitz was too big to go through the Panama Canal, and that's that why correct. you were transiting. That is correct. Yep. Um, on a side note, um, I was down in one of our medical uh, supply uh, locations, and there was an I beam down there that the, one of the old timers mm-hmm. showed me. He said, this is what happens when you go around Cape Horn in a ship this size. And it's an I-beam that's about inch and a half to two inches thick. And if you can think of an I-beam with the, you know, the webbing and the other side, also being about two feet across. So it's an I-beam that's two feet across, the webbing is two feet, and then the other I-beam that's connected to the outside of the ship is two feet. had about a two-inch bolt all the way from the outside to the inside of that beam. That's a lot of force. Oh, yeah. That's actually a little scary. Oh, yeah. Hey, I want to just pause and welcome Tim Bob, um, who asked, where is Nikki? (laughs) So I think Nikki's in the twilight zone of Internet reception. Yeah, Tim, she's still at home. I'm actually over at Mom and Dad's. She she, uh, wanted to stay home tonight. Well, I think your internet there, the reason why you're here, is that Farmington, Minnesota seems to be like a Bermuda Triangle in itself. Yeah, it can be. As far as the internet. Right. Um, I Also, Michelle Wenzel said she's uh, happy to be here and listen to the amazing stories. Thank you, Michelle. So getting back to uh, the Nimitz, so... Um, what you were saying is it transitioned from a East Coast ship to a West Coast ship. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, when she got in, uh, I was working at the Naval Hospital in Bremerton. I'd already done two years there. And um, I had put in for optometry school in Boston. Um, 
I really wasn't much into, like, uh, surgical emergency kind of stuff, although I had done some of that. Um, and then they lost the paperwork and said that I was already under orders to report to the Nimitz. Military likes... I was totally cool with. The military likes losing paperwork. It sometimes happens. I understand. <laughs> so why don't you tell me, uh, what was your first day once you received the orders? Can you tell me what um, what happened from once you got the orders? I mean, did they give you like a couple of days to report? And, and tell us what it was like actually reporting and what it was like stepping foot on the sh- on this huge ship for the first time. Yeah, it's um it was kind of culture shock, um completely different than anything I'd ever done. I mean, it was a huge gated guarded facility. Um and you had to have all your all your ducks in a row to get in. Uh, and then they had just a huge long list of places for you to go, things for you to do. Uh, they had to do all the paperwork, um, um, just all kinds of stuff. Um, and I probably was there for a few days before um, they had brought me down to the ship and introduced me to the people who I was going to be working with, who then took me up to the ship and basically showed me, you know, how to salute, how to request permission to come aboard and all that kind of thing that you do. Um, and then uh, they took me down to the uh, to the medical area, which is off, you know, one of the, um, when you come in, you're on basically on the, uh, one of the hangar bays, and then it's one a little uh, passageway on the uh, starboard side, and then medical you know, in a few bucks. So right, we got into there, and then uh, they gave me a big tour of uh, of the facility. Um, pretty cool. Got to meet the uh, the petty uh, officer in charge of the treatment room, and that's where I was going to be taking over. Um, super nice guy. Learned a lot. And then we also had a flight surgeon. Another another. Uh, doctor who could perform surgery, um, and then we had a, uh, a PA as well. Um, Which is what, a physician assistant? Physician assistant, yep. Okay. So Michelle asked, was it hard to be away from your family? Well, you're going to have to say yes, because your family is on flying with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not at first, not at first, because... Uh, I had no idea how big that ship was. I mean, mm-hmm. you see it from the outside. You can see it from a long ways away and cover it up with your thumbnail. But until you actually stand right next to it, it's like, oh, my gosh, this thing is huge. Um, yeah. I'm sorry, what was the question? Um, did you miss us? And I think you were starting to say, yeah. like, it's probably a little overwhelming at first. And so that probably, like, 100% of your mind is probably focused on learning what you have to learn to survive. Yeah. yeah. And while we were in port until the ship um, deployed, um, there was training exercises. And then since I lived in Bremerton, I got to go home um, mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Um but then there came a time when 
we were doing things uh, 24/7 on the ship and getting you know getting prepared to, to take her out. Uh, they did a lot of retrofitting, and every time they did a retrofitting, we had to take her out, stress testers, uh, make sure that everything was up to par, and then we'd come back in again for a while, and then I'd get to see them again for you know maybe a week, two weeks, and then it's back out to sea again, testing this new thing. And then there was war games we uh, went went to in San Diego, and we were gone for a few weeks um, at that time. Um, then I came back, and then it was not long after that that uh, we got our orders to um, go to the Pacific. What was it like? Um, I remember as a kid, I, I don't remember ever seeing you off, but I remember coming out to the pier and seeing you come back in. What was it like? Uh, explain to us the whole process of getting underway. Target coming in, and, and uh, you come through the Straits of Juan de Fuca, and uh, that was some of the highest waves that we had in the Pacific Northwest, is right at the mouth of the Strait of Juan de Fuca. Uh, the ship rolls. Uh, you don't think the ship, the ship doesn't go forward and backwards so much, but it does roll left to right, and it's so big that it takes a long time for it to roll to one side and hang there for a minute and then roll back. Um, and so you'd come in, uh, and then they go past. There are some other uh, areas where the, the uh, flight crew would fly off, like uh, with the island. Uh, and then they would bring you coming through all these little channels to get up into Bremerton. So it took quite a while, but it was nice once you got into the Straits um, of Juan de Fuca, you knew you were home. You knew you were home. Nothing, nothing was going to hurt you there. Um, and then you knew you were going to get to see your family for, you know, at least a few days, if not, you know, a couple of weeks, depending on what the plans for the ship were. What was a normal turnaround um, after a, a standard, well, I'm sure there's no standard deployment, but what was the average turnaround? Well, there really wasn't anything average because she had just come to the uh, the West Coast and she had a lot of refitting to do. I mean, we made a number of trips, San Diego, uh, we went out to the Golden Gate Bridge. Um, we even tried to time it at low tide, but we were still too high. Uh, well, we had to scramble up to the top, cut the top six feet of the uh, of the antenna off so that we could squeak underneath. Um, lots of things like that. We got some time down in in uh, California, San Diego, mm -hmm. uh, some leisure time, um, and then we we're coming back up to pick up the whole crew and get the get the planes on board, and uh, and then we headed off for our Westpac, which is the Western Pacific Cruise. Okay. Hey, um, I just want to pause and, and ask those people that have come on just to say hi in the chat, kind of your, at least your first name and where you're coming in from. Um, where do you live? Um, sorry to interrupt. Dan, um, when you talked about the Straits of Juan de Fuca and seeing the roughest seas and you talked about the Cape. Um, were there times also where you had, like, calmer seas where you would go up to the deck, and could you see any um, ocean life from there? Oh, yeah. Well, one of my, one of my duties was the uh, motor whale boat on the 
to be the left side. Um, so L-E-F-D, P-O-R-T, that's how you remember your port from your starboard. Um, but I was on the port side, so I had to go up every day and sign the log. Well, while I was up there, you know, my whole time, basically, from the time I wake up to let's like, go to bed, is inside steel log. And there's no natural light you don't get. The only thing you get to see is you can watch Flight Deck TV. And that's just plain taken off and guys walking around. So when I went up to the motor whaleboat sponsor on the port side, I would check the logbook. You can look down around the motor whaleboat suspended there in the ocean, but they had this neat little window looking forward, and you could kind of hang your head out of it. And I would watch the dolphin leaping out of the wake that the Nimitz created about wow. a six-foot wake. And these dolphins would be jumping and just having a good old time. And you can look up, you can see sunshine, clouds, rain, whatever happened to be that day. It was my little slice of heaven. Nice. I suppose not everybody on the ship kind of had that that ability to do that. Only me and the other lifeboat captain. Oh. Um, there was one on the port side and one on the starboard side. Okay. So talking about, and I know you probably can't talk much about this subject because it is still an active vessel and uh there you know there's opsec with it but do you remember there being um like restricted places that you would try to stay away from honestly i was too busy to go wander around they encourage us to wander around the ship and see different places so that you know if you had to go there in a hurry you'd know how to get there and i i knew the places where I, I could go, where I had to go, um, you know, and stop into the barber shop, um, stop into the chaplain's office. The chaplain's office was right underneath the front cap. And so you'd be sitting there, boom, and you get this huge steam as the piston pulled all the way back. You couldn't hear anything for about 40 seconds. And then it would oh, wow. And then you could hear her talk again. It was very strange. <laughs> So they also, they, they used that steam for uh, the laundry, and they used it for the steam room in our uh, workout area. Wow. And they used the ship. Yeah. Steam room and a work a workout area on a ship, that's quite yeah. a luxury. It had a lot of things. You know, we had a barbershop. We had a bookstore. Um, two great big uh, dining facilities. Um, they were Everything you needed, really. It was a, a, a house, you know, floating, a floating house afloat. So, how many, how many people uh, on a on a standard deployment? How many people can that thing uh, house? I believe we had six thousand. Wow. So the majority of that is what you call a ship's company, or is there a split? Yeah, it was somewhere around three thousand. Okay. Um, and then when the air wing came on, and depending on who else we had on, but a lot of people, a huge floating city. Right. 24-7. So I want to mention that Michelle Mansell is actually signing in right now from Green Bay, Wisconsin, uh, but lives in Lakeville, Minnesota, where we're at, and mentions that she went to school with DR. 
That we did. And so thrilled she's joining us. And I want to say hi to Sue Helm from one of my favorite places to stay, Walla Walla, Washington. Thank you. <laughs> so you were mentioning the um, the Westpac deployment. Um, yeah. Tell us about that. Uh, so would you leave straight from Bremerton and, I suppose, go somewhere in the Pacific, or do so, they have certain spots you would go to? So when you're doing a Westpac, that, that's like a six-month deployment at least. Um, we did lots of little, um, like I say, little shakedown cruises, we, we call them. And then there were some, like, exercises that we had down by San Diego. Um, you know, and all of those took a few weeks, and then we'd be back, and then we'd go gear up for another thing. But, yeah, when you went to do your Westpac, uh, there was a lot of preparation in that because you were going to be gone for at least six months. And when we did do the Westpac, um, that would have been in 80. Got my notes here. Oh well. Um, anyway, it would have been uh, like 87, 88. Um, mm-hmm. We left, went out the straits to Juan Fuca. I always pull duty when we're coming in or going out. So I got this little uh, uh, little chair with wheels on the bottom of it, and I would uh, set half of my notes on one side of the uh, medical uh, treatment room and half the notes on the other side, because when the ship would roll to one side, I would roll to the other side to start working on that. And then the ship would roll back to the other side, and then I'd go work on that side. And I always pulled duty every time we came in and out, you know, and it was a good, you know, eight, ten hours to get all the paperwork squared away for the day. So, uh, back to the question, when we went on the west back, first thing we do as we get out the straits to Wanafuka, we hang a right, and we go up around the Arctic, um, by past the land, oh, wow. and we go say hi to the Russians. What was it like when you went to the Arctic? Was it ice? Cold. Uh, when, when you're out underway, you really don't go above that too much. Oh, yeah. Uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a lot of wind, a lot of sea. Mm-hmm. Um, but it gets much colder when you get up there, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you, you got to go. You got to go poke the bear a little bit. So Kaylee Fowler says hello. Hello, Kaylee. Thanks for joining. Hi, Kaylee. Um, so Dan, you mentioned doc, documenting like notes, like you were in the street of Juan de Fuca. You had it set up <laughs> so you could do that, uh, rolling your chair, but. Um, that kind of made me think, like, what what was a day like as a corpsman? I know that um, from working in uh, as a medical coding compliance and uh, coding manager for 30 years that um, you probably did things that physician assistants do or clinical nurse practitioners do. And what was your – what was a duty day like for you? Oh, uh, well, we would wake up about 5 a.m., and we would uh, go down to the mess hall. Uh, well, we'd probably go get a shower first and then get all 
get all of our gear on. And then go down to Methal Heat, and then Methal is right next to Medical. So then we just get right to work. Get um, call the first thing in the morning from 8 till 10. And then 10, we'd uh, have a little break. I'd usually go grab my lunch at that time because then we'd have afternoon minor surgeries to clinics uh, until supper time, really, around 6 o'clock or so. So you had, a, you had a large scope of responsibility that, you could do it's just not like a a regular nurse yeah it really surprised me um once you learned the skills uh and proved proficient in them then that was just your i was part of your job now and then you then you learn the next thing you know and the next thing and the next thing and then pretty soon they were like okay cool we, you can do your thing and this is here's your pile of paperwork the day and you know there's a you know a line of guys out and down the hall about 60 feet waiting for sick call so so what kind of things did they come in for in sick calls oh my gosh everything you know you got an earache your 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 sinuses hurt your ears hurt um Mm -hmm. you've got some kind of infection um you overdid it on shore leave, and you're paying mm-hmm. for it now. And, mm-hmm. Yep. So oh, they, so if they were in, if they were on the Nimitz, they were a sailor on the Nimitz or whatever their position was. Yep. And they, I mean, they couldn't just like call in sick. They had to go to sick. Oh no. Yep. First, they had to go to their box and say, mm-hmm. "I need to go to sick call." And the boss wants him to be healthy, so he would say, okay, go. Mm-hmm. So that there'd be this line all the way down this passageway of people waiting to go to sick call. And I had uh, one that became uh, the, the head foreman there in the, in the treatment room. Um, I had about three <coughs> other foremen work with me that were kind of learning where I started from. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. We had, and then we, the doctor, we didn't use him a whole lot, um, but we did use the PA a lot. He was strict that. So, um, you know, like in, in practice, depending on the state you're here in the United States, the, the doctor is like in the clinic, and then there's like treatment rooms. Were you in a big open area with everyone, or did you have? Little curtains or nope, <laughs> no. There's there's really no no privacy in the navy. Okay. So when you're on ship, uh, except for the line of people waiting. Once you came in that door, um, you wh- whoever greeted you first is who you'd go to. Um, unless you had, you know, I I had some people that had you know recurring things that I knew about that I you know they they go hey can I get you yeah so then yeah. we would work with them. Um, and it, this thing went on till you know for hours. Well, until everybody was done, we didn't turn anybody away. It might be even two, three, four in the afternoon before we finally got everybody done. But um, so with three three thousand or more people on the ship, if you're going out for a three to six month cruise, and somebody has um, hot happy or appendicitis, what? What did they do? I mean, they got flying off ships. We have an OR suite right next to the treatment room, 
and we have flight surgeon. We take it out. Okay. I, and I scrubbed up for that one. Okay. Oh, so you actually you actually had a case of appendicitis on board. Yeah, we've had quite a few things on board. Right. So you have your own operating room. Yep. We have anesthesiologist. Yep, we have an anesthesiologist. Um, our dog has a zoomies if anybody can hear that. <laughs> yeah, we had a we had a pharmacy. We had an X ray tech. We had audiologists. Um we mm-hmm. had um, um, really sorry about the dog, y'all, but it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 preventive medicine. Uh, we had a medical records. Um, we just we did it all. Pharmacy, everything. It was all we're all self-contained. It's like a floating city. So pretty much any anything you can find in a civilian ER or urgent care, you guys had on board. Of preventive medicine, like shots, physicals, that kind of thing. The whole thing, yep. And everybody got cycled through twice a year. Oh, that's better than a civilian population. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. maybe once a year if you can well, get them in. You got 3,000 guys living in confined quarters, mm-hmm. and things can spread. So you want to stay on top of that. Okay. What kind of shots? Did you administer? Um, well, I gave some penicillin shots. Um, other than that, the the preventive medicine guys had a had a whole room uh, across and down the hall where they would set up if we were having shot evolutions, or everybody had to get like we're going overseas, so now we got to get certain shots for overseas, um, and they would call everybody just like they call. You'd, you'd line up, and they would run you through a batch at a time. Mm. Um, and they had the, the pneumatic um, uh, inoculator, and you'd just, you know, stand still, and there'd be a guy on each arm, and they'd give you your shots. And uh, then if you needed any special shots, because you were going to be going doing some duty besides what the normal duty mm. was, and you had to have something else, mm. uh, they would give you that at that time. Yes, if uh, anybody hasn't seen the pneumatic inoculator, that thing is barbaric. Basically, basically, you hook this thing up to an air compressor, and you put in whatever you're going to give in a shot. And if you move, it'll slice you open. Yeah. Cool. Just, uh, thank you. A little air yeah. along with the serum under your skin. Oh, so did people dump? Like uh, when you give it to them, if it's something. <laughs> if people are in a hurry and they're, and, you know, you're in a line and it's like next, 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 you might stand there and then think, oh, it's my turn to leave now, and just about the time that they squeeze the trigger. Um, it's very rare, but it can happen. Okay. Wanted to say good night and thanks to Michelle. She has to sign up early and said she'll watch. Watch what she misses. Oh, good night, Michelle. Thank you for joining in. Yeah. All right, so we, we've kind of covered, I don't want to call it mundane, but the day-to-day of um, a part of your duties there. Um, and 
you you kind of did touch on um, doing minor surgery clinics. What would that in what what is a minor surgery clinic? So after lunch, once we got through the regular sick call guys, people who had warts or hangnails or uh, infected toenails, you know, and and it, uh, a hangnail in their toe that got infected or whatever. I had a minor surgery clinic, um, and for the first two three weeks, the uh, the PA or the doctor that was there um, oversaw it. Then after that point, they were like, you know what you're doing. So, you know, we got stuff to do, and you got stuff to do. So just carry on. If you have any questions, come see us. And so there are all kinds of stuff that we did. Did you do um, discs, like cyst removal if they weren't deep, or like pumas? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, all kinds of cyst removal. Um, yeah, basically anything. Uh, if you had earwax that you couldn't hear, we'd, uh, we'd, get, we'd get our little syringe and, and vacuum and get all the earwax out of your ear. Did you have any medical emergencies? Did have a chief wander in one time, uh, way of the ghost, and there was no one else around in the entire <laughs> medical area, and so uh, you know got him on, uh, got him on the uh, the gurney there, and put a, a four lead on him, and started an IV, and that was about all I could do. Um, called a called an emergency to the medical room. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, of course, the Marines are the first one there. That's their job. <laughs> and then the doc showed up, and then uh, he goes, so when you did that, okay, is that okay, is that okay, all right. And then I said, well, the next thing, I was probably going to um, give him some um, nitroglycerin. And he goes, yeah, that would have been okay, too. So nobody nobody died while I was there. That's good. I suppose that's a, that's a feather of, under your hat that you can be proud of. I remember an emergency uh, once you had left the baby that one of your corpsman friends had a, there was a bad experience on deck. Oh, yeah, yeah, Sam, my buddy Sam, um, was on duty that night. Um, it was after flight deck hours. The deck was dark. Uh, there was a um, hornet facing across the deck, and across the deck was a loaded fuel tanker, mm. and a couple of guys were just up roaming around the flight deck. thought it would be cool to crawl into the cockpit um, of the fighter craft and squeeze the trigger on the mm. joystick, and it shot incendiary ammunition into the tanker. The tanker blew up and shot uh, burning liquid fuel across the deck onto the guys who were in the fighter. Uh, one of them, the one that was on the wing, uh, was killed almost instantly, and the one that was in the cockpit lasted a little later, but uh, that was that was a horrible thing. Uh, I got to talk to Stan about it uh, mm-hmm. a, a few weeks later. Um, you know, and that kind of brings up the thing, too, that um, in in medicine, 
in the civilian world um, when somebody has that trauma. There's like clinical psychologists or somebody they can go to. What is what happens on ship? Is that something that they wait for if they um, get off the cruise? They would obviously have that available, like at the Bremerton Hospital. Right. Um, yeah, I never experienced anything like that when I was mm-hmm. on board. Um, you know, you watch these old flight deck uh, videos of uh, planes crashing into mm-hmm. the superstructure, crashing into other planes, uh, you know, wiping people off the deck. Um, none of that ever happened uh, while I was there. But, you know, you were always aware. You, you knew that at any second something like that could happen, and you right. needed to wits about you. Well, and I'm sure that the chaplain would help out, too, if, if people oh, yeah. were needing yeah. somebody chaplain, to talk absolutely. to. Absolutely. Yeah, doctors, mm-hmm. chaplains. Yeah. Yeah, true, true. The, um, there was a plane called, wasn't it called the Maneater for some reason? EA-6. No, that wasn't the crawler. It was the... A-7. 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 Intruder. Yeah, and they were just phasing those out when we got on. Um yeah, I, I got to know one of the one of the A7 pilots really well because he would come down for some things. Um, you know, he needed he needed certain things uh, uh, to complete his medical portfolio, um, and he liked it that he could come in and get one-on-one attention. Uh, you know, with us. So the, um, the, the reason why I ask this is like, and I I teach medical coding at a college, and in the diagnosis book there's and I can't imagine like ever having to use this code but there's a code that we can use when somebody's been stuck through a jet engine and I'm like that doesn't even make sense maybe post-mortem I don't think people live through that no well there is a video that I watched uh, where a young man walked way too close in front Mm. of that plane while it was schooling up and it sucked him right off his feet, and he had the presence of mind to spread his legs and put his arms out, and it it sucked the cranial, uh, which is which is what the flight deck guys wear on their head, sucked that off his head and spotted out the engine. Oh, uh, he was lucky. And when the and when the engine started to spool down, then right. the, the suction pressure came off, and he fell out. And, yeah, lucky. Lucky. Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that flight deck wow. footage too. Might have a few nightmares for the rest of your life. Um, the other thing that I've seen is a. I think I don't think it was on the Nimitz. I think it was on the either the Roosevelt or the Bush. They had an arresting wire snap under tension. Oh, yeah. We watched lots and lots of those videos. Uh, flight deck is a crazy place to be. So were you ever, were, was there a time during flight ops you were ever on deck, or did they, did the, um, did the air wing have their own corpsman? Oh, yeah. The air wing comes on. They got their own corpsman. There are two medical facilities uh, forward and two medical facilities aft, um, medical treatment rooms, that are staffed uh, only when the air wing comes on. Uh, and then during flight ops, I imagine they hang out there too uh, during mm-hmm. areas when it's not flight ops. Mm-hmm. Did you say there was a, a long range down the bear? Did you say there was a uh, air wing uh, medical in the tower? 
No, it's uh, just below. It's on the in the on the level just below the flight deck. Okay. Yeah. This is a nuclear carrier. Yeah. Um, the first of her kind. First of her kind nuclear carrier. How? I mean, tell us a little bit about that. Like, right. I imagine there's nuclear rods in there. I imagine there's people on board that are trained to handle certain things. Did you have did you have concerns of living and working that close to re, to a reactor? No, not at all. Nope. Yeah, so the um, the iteration of carriers, uh, the first nuclear carriers, they had had uh, reactors on subs for years and years, and they knew how those worked, and they knew they were safe and how many years they could go. So um, the first, like, enterprise-class carriers had six small reactors from submarines. Uh, and then the Nimitz was the first of her class to have two large reactors uh, okay. basically in the center of the ship. And we only ran off one. So redundancy then. It's like any other ocean going vessel. You have multiple yeah. motors. Yep. Did they know how long it would be able to run off of like one reactor? Well, when they built her they had an idea. You know, you extrapolate mm -hmm. figures, you know, based on the historical, you know, context. Um we only used one reactor at a time. Uh they had no idea how long it would go. And it had been 15 years since she was, her keel was laid and everything was put together uh, on the East Coast. And so we all got had to get off the ship. And uh, there's an opening uh, that goes all the way down to where the reactors are. And they pulled the rods. Uh, the arbor was off the ship, obviously. Yeah, um, yeah. And people in the appropriate, uh, uh, you know, CBR um, and the contamination and all of that uh, Pulled the rod, determined that she had another good 10 years. Um, oh, and after wow. was about it. And we immediately <laughs> took off and went on our Westpac. So That's tell really me, amazing. Tell me what the Westpac's like. Um, I'm, I'm sure there's, you know, once you're out to sea, there's not much to do other than your oh, set job. Every day but full of things to do. Tell yeah. us. Tell us what it was like after you set sail, and then maybe up to, like, what was a port call like? Sure. Well, uh, <clears throat> so my my West Pack started out in Bremerton, and it ended up on a rock called Diego Garcia in the Indian Ocean. So first you come out, you take a right, you go up and around the, you know, the Aleutian, the island, Alaska Island, come down uh, on the other side, on the nose at the Russians, and then you just keep going uh, until you get down. So our next stop was uh, Philippines. We stopped uh, in the Philippines for, oh, a week or two, uh, and then we pulled off, and then uh, we went to um, South Korea. In uh, South Korea, it was interesting that we were there at that time, I think part, partially the Westpac was was part of this plan, mm -hmm. but they were doing the uh, 87 Olympics. Oh, the, the 88 games. Yep, 
and so we and our sister ship, the uh, would have been the Vincent, right? The Vincent, Carl Vincent. Yep, we were taking turns. So we'd come in for a week. Our guys would all get liberty, uh, and we'd go around and see what South Korea is all about, which was very interesting. Uh, and then after a week, we would go back out, uh, and then they would come in. Uh, and then they were providing air cover and everything for the Olympic Games that were going on. Um, but I got to meet some really interesting people. Uh, had no idea what South Korea was like. It's a lovely place. Um, very friendly people. Little kids walk all around. They don't have any fear uh, because if anybody was any was to do anything to them, they mm. would be killed in the most horrible public manner. So and I, that's why there isn't any crime there. I'm sure that was a culture shock for you. Um, was this your first time out of the United States? And where yeah. were you from? So, well, I was born in Minnesota, and. Um, and I moved to Idaho, and then we ended up in Bremerton, Washington, which is in the northwest corner, uh, across from Seattle, across the town from Seattle. So quite the culture shock to a, I'm assuming, mid-20s guy from Minnesota. Yeah, actually, um, Korea was very clean, very nice. Uh, mm-hmm. People were super nice. Um, I saw some really cool uh, things there, uh, these people dressed up in robes and banging drums and cymbals, uh, going door to door. And I, I had run into this uh, gal who was studying um, and wanted to go to Brigham. She was going to go to Brigham Young University. So she needed to learn some English, and I needed to learn some Korean. So uh, basically, and we were off the ship every day, my buddy Stan and I, uh, we would get liberty every day for seven days. And so we would meet her at this fountain in the middle of the city. And then we just go around and see all these different things. Well, the tax collectors is what that was. They're all dressed in good robes and making it make any noise. So you knew if you were going to, if you were due to pay your taxes that day, boy, you were waiting at the door because if you, if you did work forthcoming with your with your taxes, they made a ruckus, and all the neighbors would look up. Jeez. And so you wanted to be the first one. You wanted to beat them to the door. You, yeah, you, you heard yeah. that coming, and you were there at the door ready to go. You didn't want to bring shame onto yourself no. or your household. I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there's a big thing over there with haggling for prices. I, I, I personally, I don't like that. It, it makes me uncomfortable. Um, just tell me what the price is, you know. It's not the Minnesota way. Right. Yeah. But so she was speaking their language, and so she would negotiate to get us the best deal. And it was neat. So, you know, we got, you know, food, and um, I brought back a, a blanket, and like a, like a nice silk blanket all embroidered and everything. Um, and then we had to leave, and then our next port call was, uh, the Philippines, and we, I think we pulled into Pusan, and we were there for about a week, and then we left there, and we were going to go to um, that little country. Singapore? Uh, very clean. Singapore. Singapore. Yeah. Singapore. Uh, mm-hmm. and, they, and they said, uh, no, 
we, we don't want that big crowd of people coming in. So mm-hmm. um, we sailed on by, and then we went from there. Let's see, where did we go? Uh, Philippines, and then we went to Guam, and then we went into the Indian Ocean. Could you feel a difference because of the water temperature in the oh. Indian Ocean? Oh, yeah. Okay. The Pacific is beautiful, clear, blue. And when you come around the corner and you get into the Indian Ocean, there's mm-hmm. a line. You can see the line. It is piece of green on the other side. And instantly, oh, we were nice and cool in the Pacific. It is hot and muggy and breathless. So it's a visible demarcation line that you actually oh, yeah. draw. Indian Ocean, it, it's just like dead calm. Wow. Humid. Sure. And the water's green, and the shark's bested. Hmm. Well, we've uh, we're counting down on time here. Uh, we're just oh, probably six, seven minutes away. Um, full of other questions uh, I wanted to ask. Um, were you ever? Did you ever get to meet like anybody important on the ship, as far as like captain or any dignitaries that came aboard? Um, yes, I did meet the captain, um, and, um, all of the officers. From time to time, I had to deliver something up to the, uh, up to the bridge. Um, so I met pretty much all those guys. You know, just real quick, here you go, I'm out of here. And how do you split? Oh, yeah. (laughs) On the bridge, right? I mean, is that a little nerve-wracking? Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Um, mm-hmm. One one fun thing was the uh, um, Andy and Fergie came aboard. They were um, they flew on, uh, and then he wanted to fly one of our. Not sure if he did or not, <laughs> but they were gone. The guys were gone for quite a while, so we ended up uh, getting to talk to Fergie for quite a while. She was delightful. So. Um, the Duke, the 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 Dutch and uh, Duchess of York is what your Duke and Duchess yeah. of York is who you're talking about. Yep, and then a lot of their their airmen and seamen, uh, officers, obviously. I mean, just hanging with all kinds of ribbons and right. gold and everything like that. But um, very proper, um, very polite, nice people. That must have been cool. It was cool. Did, did, um, Sarah Ferguson come into medical or did oh, yeah. they, were, they were in my medical treatment room. Oh cool. Yeah. So where where did they come aboard? Was it uh They flew on. Okay, so you were you were within range of a of a yeah, a, a British cod. kilo, I take it? Uh I don't think it was a British kilo. I think they came on the on the cod. Okay. Yeah. Did could you see the flight deck? Um, in the medical training room, I've got flight deck TV, so I can see okay. everything from the bridge forward. All right. Other than that, um, every day I got to go look up my little window. Say hi to Angela, Angela Andrews from Milwaukee, Oregon. Hi, Angie. Hi, Angie. Glad to have you on. Well, I mean, here's... I wanted to talk to you guys for a little second here. So our show on blog talks 
ends in a couple of minutes. If you want to, we could keep going on um, StreamYard for a little bit if you guys want. Well, I do have a couple of questions, so maybe we could do that for a little bit. Sure. Um, and those people that need to go can go, and those people that want to stay on can stay on. Yeah. Um, Dan, I think you had mentioned, you mentioned a couple of times the Marines, like one, like when yeah. you're, when you had the medical emergency, nobody was in a sick, sick bay. And the, one of the first people when you call on the ship that come are Marines. We, uh, we don't really think so much about Marines being on board. Can you talk about that and the relationship there? Yeah. Yeah, so the Marines are shipboard security. They are responsible for protecting the reactor spaces, uh, protecting oh. the weapons, cash spaces, uh, the deck spaces, um, and also one of their corollary duties is to beat the corpsman to any medical emergency. <laughs> uh, and then when you get there, um, by that time they've already got them on a stretcher and they're, you know, trying to help them out. And mm -hmm. you, give a, you get there, you do a couple little things and decide whether you transportable or whether mm -hmm. you have to do something else. Um, and then if we're going back to the uh, medical treatment room, they just grab that stretcher and go. Uh, make a hole, make a hole, and you better get out of the way. They will knock you down. So it's a foot race to yeah. try and beat you back to your own your own department. Always beat the guy. Always beat the guy. Yeah, that was that was their pride and joy. Yeah. Well, there's yeah, kind of a little hobbit hole, kind of between our birthing and the uh, aft nest or the forward mast deck. And um, good guys, really good guys. I, I dropped down in their little hole from time to time where they. Mm -hmm. talking about marine stuff. And now he's like, hey, Doc, come on down. Right. That's nice. I was blue side, not green side, but there were green side corpsmen as well. So um, you just mentioned blue side versus green side. Can you uh, elaborate on that? So medical corpsmen, um, once they get to their duty station, can decide whether they want to go with marines, which would be like, or blue side, which would be on ship. Okay. I'm sure, you know, that's that's gotta be another thing is, is being deployed with the Marines on land. Yeah. Uh, pastor pastor went green side. <laughs> oh, our pastor at our current yeah. church, Neil Ripto. Yeah. Oh, Neil. Oh. Neil Ripto. He, um, he was uh, corpsman too. Yeah. So, as far as the Marines, um, I know you've told this story to me before, but you actually got to go into their, their birthing area. Can you describe the difference between uh, the Marines birthing area and, say, a normal uh, area where a bunch of guys would sleep? Well, our birthing areas were small, uh, maybe 15 people tops, you know, really cramped quarters. Uh, their birthing that I dropped into, they call it marine country, um, big, wide open, uh, tables and chairs in the middle, a uh, bunch of TVs, and then uh, bunks and birthing all the way around the outside. 
still maybe standard on the other parts of the ship, you're probably doing what maybe a birthing per department of guys. Oh no, we had like in medical, we had uh, I think we had at least two birthings in medical. Um, my birthing uh, and my rack was uh, on the starboard side, right below the sea missile battery, and then running above my head were two six-inch JP uh, seven fuel lines. <laughs> and so it, I figured if I'm going to take a hit, <laughs> maybe right. that's not a bad thing, right? Or right. I don't know. The other, the other thing yeah. to that. Because when it was waves, you could hear those waves washing against the hull. I think that would put me to sleep. Right to sleep, yeah. You didn't want to forget where you were to sit up. You <gasps> your head. Right. Yeah. Did that one. 